Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, my guest today is Stacy McDaniel, who's the anti-hunger initiative specialist for the YMCA. You've got the Boston YMCA. The month of January, they serve 30,000 meals that month. And now they're serving 10,000 a day. This is usually our weekly conversation about food and passion and making a difference in the world. But like everybody else in our world and across the world, uh, we're working under different circumstances this week and probably for the foreseeable future. We're working in remote studios. The sound might sound a little bit different. And we're talking about mostly one thing, which is the impact of coronavirus. YMCA has stepped in to play an incredibly important role in feeding kids who depended on schools to get their meals, but now, of course, are out of school. Stacy McDaniel, we're so happy to have you on and so grateful that you're able to take the time from your very important work. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Billy. Uh, Stacy, tell me a little bit about uh, what the role, I know the YMCA has always played an important role in feeding children and in setting up child nutrition sites around the country. That, of course, is the number one priority of Share Our Strength and our No Kid Hungry campaign, ensuring that eligible kids, uh, kids who are el- eligible for school meals or for federal nutritional assistance, uh, school lunch or school breakfast, meals in the summertime when the schools are closed, uh, ensuring that those kids get that so that they're able to be not just healthy, but thrive in school and uh, have a great opportunity to be part of our uh, economy, at least the way our economy once was. So what was the role of the YMCA in uh, feeding kids before uh, coronavirus took the grip that it's got on our country? And what's your role now? That's a great question. And and we're so appreciative for the work that, that Share Strengths No Kid Hungry does as well. The YMCA has been working to feed kids year-round during out-of-school time. Uh, in partnership with Walmart Foundation, we really put a focus on that starting in 2011. Uh, annually, that's about 22 million meals a year going out to kids. And we do that during summer uh, when school's out. Also, after-school meal programs weekend meal programs, really work in any time the school is out to be able to assist and make sure kids have the nutrition they need to to thrive. We know summer in particular is always a difficult time. Um, Families who've relied on those free and reduced lunches for lunch five days a week, and, and if they're lucky, breakfast too, they have the same food budget all uh, you know, this the all month long that they had during the school year, but now have to come up with those extra meals. Now let's talk about with COVID nineteen. Well, let me and let me just ask you before you get to COVID nineteen, Stacy. How did the YMCA get into that particular line of work and community support in the first place? I think of the YMCA as the place you go to shoot hoops. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're, you're better than most people. Normally they start singing uh, the village people's song, right? Um, which, which happens. But yeah, you, you would not want to hear me do that. <laughs> oh, Billy, I actually had my husband take it off of our, our songs. I was like, I can't do it. Um, but you know, there's even a line in that song. You, you can get a meal at the YMCA. It, it's not new, uh, but it's something that people don't typically think of. They think of that swim and gym mentality, which a lot of our wives do very well, but we also serve meals and and we have for quite some time. 
our purpose is to serve our communities, youth development, healthy living, social responsibility. Nothing is more fundamental than making sure children have access to healthy meals. It hits all the areas. Children need nutrition to grow and thrive. Uh, talking about good health, introducing children to healthy eating and lifelong love of healthy eating is going to create different outcomes for their futures. And then, of course, the social responsibility of it. When we know that one in seven children in America struggles with hunger, we have a real responsibility to step in. The YMCAs are trusted spaces in their community. They offer youth programs. And so it really is the perfect pairing. To pair that up, we've got access to meals uh, and kids, and we're trusted. It's, it's a great resource to be able to provide families. How many Ys are there? That's, you know, we are in 10,000 communities across the country. So roughly 2,600 Ys throughout the nation. And how does the food, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this because I feel like I, you know, worked in this space for a long time. And uh, honestly, I underappreciated this really important role that the YMCAs have been playing. So like, and where does the food come from? How does it get cooked? How does it get distributed? Just give me a little bit of the backstory before we get into what you're doing now in the, in the face of coronavirus. Sure. So we operate around, well, a little over 5,200 uh, food program sites across the country. And it looks very different in every community. We run a very flexible framework that really relies on looking at the communities and seeing what resources are there. Uh, many of our wives do partner up with schools. They have amazing kitchens and staff that are able to supply those meals, but not every community is that a possibility. So some of our wives do produce the meals themselves. Um, most wives do not have a, a full-scale kitchen, and so they offer uh, things that are a little easier to prep in those cases. Um, you know, sandwiches, salads, different options. We also work with food banks across the country. We have a, this beautiful marriage. Food banks have food. We've got kids. It's a great partnership to bring the two together. Um, so across the country, it, it looks very different. Full meals for kids. Some of those are hot meals. Some are cold. But all in all, about the average 84,000 meals a day, going out to a little over 570,000 kids a year. And Stacey, how long have you been doing this? Wow. what a, So I've been with our national office at the YMCA a little over seven years. Um, but before that, I actually worked at my local YMCA in a rural small town in Georgia, the Tift Area YMCA. And uh, so a little over 10 years, and I, I really found my calling in that local community. We um, work with the schools to be able to provide meals to kids, and what we found was the need was, was astronomical. Um, this was my hometown I'd grown up in, and my eyes were open to the need. When you what, go, what, was, what was the town again? It was Tifton, Georgia. And, um, you know, when you go up to uh, kids in the summer and you, you ask them if they'd be interested in having a meal and, and they, you, they asked what we had. And we said, you know, we had grilled chicken and peaches and green beans. And the child stopped and she said, peaches? and she said, I haven't had fruit all summer. And it's just devastating to realize when school let out, she lost her access to fresh fruits and vegetables. So, so I'm picturing in, in some of these many smaller or rural towns, 
and and communities across America that the the why plays a really really central role. Yes, well, you know, the why is is a great collaborator and convener. Um, even in my own small town, we were able to bring together about 105 different groups across the community to partner together. You've got churches adopting sites in public parks or, or housing authority complexes and providing volunteers to serve the food, fire departments, uh, police leading activities with the kids, building relationships. It definitely takes a community to come together, in, whether you're rural or, or large, uh, to really meet that need of hunger. So we're a few weeks in now to this terrible tragedy, the coronavirus and the impact it's having on on kids, on schools, on the economy. Nobody has been left untouched. Uh, how did the YMCA decide to uh, play a role here and step into this gap that's been left with so many schools, almost virtually all schools closing and kids still needing the meals that they used to get there? Yeah, it's, you know, our wives have had to shift. Um, we had programming as well. Kids were coming into our after school programs, our centers. Um, all that changed with COVID 19. The majority of our wives are closed across the country. They can't provide the, those typical services of a gym and pool, a, a fitness. Um, we've now pivoted. We're offering emergency childcare for health workers, uh, grocery store clerks, all of these essential staff that really have to keep uh, these communities running. We're offering support for seniors who were coming in our doors and now needing that support, needing someone to call and check and uh, maybe help them get the groceries to their home. And of course, the, the food programs. So whereas the wise were serving that um, through uh, programming, we've had to really adjust. You know, this idea of, of social distancing is so far in at the YMCA where we do trust relationships and we want to interact with youth, but we've had to pivot very quickly, um, develop grab and go drive through sites, sites that limit interaction and safely get the meals to kids. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges of this has been the, the extreme need to scale. Um, a great sample of this is Adair County, Missouri, small rural YMCA, before this happened, they were serving about 80 kids a day, and now they're serving 900. That had to happen in a week's time. And it takes years for that kind of growth, but the wise have been able to pivot and make that happen in a week. You've got the Boston YMCA. Um, the month of January, they serve 30,000 meals that month, and now they're serving 10,000 a day. Um it's been astronomical to see our YMCA's be able to pivot. And um, I know in Chattanooga, YMCA, they've got lifeguards, Zuma instructors, folks who were uh, fitness staff, checking memberships, are now in the kitchen making sandwiches. Hi, I'm Paul Woodhull, but you can call me Woody. I've been blessed with the opportunity to produce Add Passion and Stir over the past few years and to work with Billy, Debbie, and all of the great people at Share Our Strength on the No Kid Hungry campaign. Every podcast we produce provides me with insight and uplift in trying times. But in the three years that we've been producing Add Passion and Stir, there's never been a moment like the one we face right now. As I record this message, over 168 million meals have been missed just in the past two weeks 
by at-risk children who rely on free and reduced school lunch and breakfast. It's a frightening number that is overshadowed by the importance and consequence of the pandemic crisis. But the consequences of childhood hunger are just as dire, and the aftershocks to the millions of kids who are missing the meals they rely on schools to provide will reverberate through our country for years. But there is good news. The No Kid Hungry campaign is distributing millions of dollars in grants to the people and organizations on the front lines of childhood hunger, innovating solutions to make sure that all children are fed, even in the face of the coronavirus crisis. Please, go to nokidhungry.org, that's nokidhungry.org, to make a donation or to apply for a grant in your community. Even just $1 will provide 10 nutritious meals to hungry and at-risk kids. Please, help us help them. And share this podcast with your friends, neighbors, and communities so together we can end childhood hunger in America. Thank you. And so, Stacey, use any one of those examples, Adair County or Boston or Chattanooga. How are they, uh, just given the obstacles, the social distancing, the fear of people, uh, you know, in some cases even leaving their homes, how are they actually getting the meals to to folks at the scale that you've described? Are they are people coming to get them? Are they dropping them off on their porches or their back step? How's it work? Yeah, it's a definite combination. Um, many of them are offering multiple grab-and-go sites. So they're offering setups that are outdoors where the uh, parents and kids can come up, maintain social distance, get the meals. And also very popular is this drive through option where they're set up in sites that are convenient throughout the community. And a family can simply pull through, pop their trunk. The volunteer puts the bag of meals in the car so that it really does limit that interaction and make sure that the kids can safely access those meals. And one of the things that we've seen uh, in our work with the No Kid Hungry campaign over the last couple of weeks and even over the last couple of days is that uh, no day is, is like another. Tomorrow will be different. From today, uh, we have found situations where I'm thinking uh, uh, in Memphis, for example, um, a uh, there were meals being served at the schools outdoors. Uh, a school worker tested positive for COVID-19, and so they completely shut down the entire program. Are you having to adapt and be agile and make changes as you go? Do you anticipate as uh, the um, restrictive uh, social distancing guidelines become even more so with lockdowns, shelter in place. Uh, is that going to change the way that you're you're feeding people? I think it definitely changes the game. And there's such a need to be cautious and to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D um, in these cases. I do know in Memphis, you know, when the when the school nutrition worker they had to close that program. The Memphis Y was then able to step in and help assist feeding those 4,000 kids throughout the community. Um, we've seen the, the Monroe Y in Michigan has really adopted a, a nice practice and got a lot of community involvement where they're setting up multiple kitchens and preparation teams. That way, if one team member comes down, you still have other teams that are functioning. Um, that, that particular model to me has been uh, such a great way to really make sure, of course, practicing social distancing, extreme, uh, you know, already you have to be so careful in cleaning in preparation of food. 
even more so now in, in the serving of the food uh, and just maintaining that social distance when you're in the kitchen together, making sure that you limit how many are in that kitchen at one time. Uh, we've even seen restaurants are opening up their kitchens to help prep with the meals. Uh, in Monroe, the Lazy Boy uh, plant headquarters was there. When they closed down the plant, that kitchen at that facility is now being used to prepare meals for children with those staff. So lots of, of cross-functionality between for-profit and non-profit world, realizing that we need more kitchens, we need more teams, and they need to be spaced out uh, really carefully to, to make sure that at no time does the entire system go offline. Boy, it seems like it's just a really daunting task. And, you know, our our field, our community, uh, the anti-hunger community is not the only group facing daunting tasks right now. But um, just the, the notion of being able to get people to kitchens, to have them do what they need to do and keep the distance they need to keep and to serve the food. And um, wow, it, it, it seems like a lot. Um, and do you, do you need... Um, more volunteers. I was going to ask if, if people feel like they would benefit from the services of the YMCA, they're out of food or they're running out of food. Is there a, a number that they should call? Is there a website? And are, if people want to volunteer on the other side of the equation, uh, how would they do that? Volunteers and support are always needed, more so now than ever. Uh, we actually do have a site set up, ymca.net backslash stay with us. You can enter your zip code, find your local YMCA, and be directed to find out about opportunities to volunteer and support available in your own community. So let's say that again. It's ymca.net backslash stay with us. Stay with us. Excellent. And then do you anticipate demand increasing over time, decreasing? How, how are you internally projecting the capacity that you'll need? We know that the demand is increasing. Um, we're seeing just astronomical rises in numbers. Um, we've seen wise where every day the number of meals are, are increasing and the need is increasing. We just had a story out of uh, the YMCA of Detroit Um uh, they are offering meals at multiple sites throughout the community. One is a, a church in a predominantly immigrant uh, neighborhood. Uh, mom just moved here a couple of weeks ago. Can you imagine how terrifying to have no support system, no resources in the midst of this? Um, she was able, uh, they were able to get meals and prepare the family for, for what to expect and how to stay in touch with resources to make sure kids are being fed. We know the need just keeps growing. We had a, a mother who was actually, the irony of this story is actually pretty gut-wrenching, but it's the Granite YMCA in New Hampshire. And the schools, God bless our school nutrition workers. They have never worked so hard in their lives. Um, I think they're so underappreciated, but here's to say they are true hunger heroes stepping up right now all across this country. But, you know, schools are able to offer lunches at, at a designated time. This mother works in a grocery store and her pantry's barren. She wasn't able to make it in time. She had to work during that service. She was able to connect that night at a YMCA supper site and get dinner and a bag of groceries. She was in tears. She was talking about the extreme need that they're in and on top of 
not having enough to typically get your month's worth of groceries. Now you're dealing with food shortages. We had a mom with a seven-year-old autistic son. She had been to five grocery stores trying to just get basic necessities and things were sold out. So the problem is just compounding as this time goes on. We know that the need is extremely high. Families are struggling. We've had so many moms that have been laid off from their jobs and they need help. That need is only growing. And what, and uh, you made a reference to, you know, grocery stores being uh, empty. I get a lot of questions uh, that I can't answer. So I'll ask you and hope that you can about the, the food chain and the supply chain. Are you seeing uh, pressures on that currently at your sites? Are you able to get the food that you need to cook for the families? You know, we are definitely seeing shortages. Milk is particularly hard to come by. Um, we've had some amazing partners. Starbucks has stepped up and donated milk uh, to some of our YMCAs to pass out to families. We've seen universities, uh, keep in mind the universities are closing down, being able to donate some of that as well to be able to serve out and distribute. But we we are seeing difficulties, and especially for some of our smaller rural-wise that, that typically they grocery shopped for their meal supplies for kids. And now when you're talking about going, you know, that sample of a day or going from 80 kids to 900, they now have to do bulk purchasing. And that's really difficult to get into. So we are seeing shortages. Um, and, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can and adapting. Thankfully, the USDA is really trying to issue a lot of waivers to help with that. But then you, you run into the barrier that every single state has to approve that waiver. And uh, so it, it looks very different across the country. Let's pull the lens back just a, a little bit and try and look farther down the road. Um, do you um, see a point at which uh, when we get to the other side of the COVID-19 crisis, um, you see a point at which the work of the YMCA's will not uh, be as necessary just in general on the hunger issue. Before COVID-19, did you feel like um, hunger was getting better or, or worse in America? The reason I ask this is I feel like, you know, even with the COVID-19 crisis, to me, the, uh, the, the, the hunger piece of it, as daunting as we've described, is still the most solvable aspect of it. We have, uh, you know, a terrible shortage of ventilators and of masks and of hospital beds, but we don't have a shortage of food in this country. Um, and we've never really had a shortage of food in this country, at least not in modern times. And so hunger seems to be more a, a symptom of, you know, the problem of, of poverty and our failure to connect families to, to the opportunity and to the resources they need for their kids. Um, do you do you think when we get past COVID nineteen we're on a path to uh, ameliorating or ending hunger in the United States or do we do we still have a very long way to go? I think we still got a long way to go, and it's heartbreaking. And you know, I, I think you're right. I think it's solvable, but the way that we are, are currently set up is is not being solved. Um, we still see a daily need, families, kids that don't want to go home on Friday because there's no food at home. Um, you know, we have backpack programs across the country. Uh, we've got pantries set up for families coming in for early childcare who don't have food at home. They need it. 
this is this was before COVID nineteen, and now the need is so astronomical. I think if there is any silver lining to this dark storm cloud that we're in right now, it is that more people are realizing just how big the issue of hunger is in this country. I don't think we've ever had a lens and an awareness about hunger the way that it it is being lifted up right now. And so I hope at the end of this, people realize the hunger didn't go away. It's still a really big issue and needs a lot of support. Beyond feeding people, um, do you all have a uh, you know position or a stake in the ground about some of the, I guess the, the the longer term policy changes that need to come about to prevent people from being hungry in the first place, American families from being hungry in the first place? Yeah, we definitely have an advocacy team with the Y that works to try to help support communities. Our goal as the YMCA is always to strengthen communities. Part of that is making sure families aren't going hungry in the communities that we're in, making sure they have resources that they need to thrive. So we we do and will continue to advocate. It feels from what you've described, Stacey, that um, you know the Ys have obviously played such an important role in strengthening community, but it also feels like in a way that they were they were built for just this moment. Um, almost nobody's been able to step into the gap um, the way that the Ys have. So um, very important work. Do you do you feel like it will again on the other side of COVID nineteen? Will this change the way you do things in a in a permanent way or in ways that maybe you're not even foreseeable yet? I think it will broaden the opportunities for more wise to serve, for more partners to come together around this issue. Um, You know, hunger takes, it's all hands on deck to really meet the need of hunger and be able to address it in local communities. My hope is that more people will come to the table and support efforts across the country to, to make sure that kids, no child should ever have to go to bed worried about if they're going to have something to eat the next morning. And I, I, I pray that our nation is able to rally together around that and make sure that supports are in place. Well, I hope you're right. My gut tells me uh, that you are right, that people are going to come away from this with a deeper understanding of, of, uh, of how central uh, an issue hunger is in their own community. This has has brought it to the fore in some ways, and uh, hopefully that brings more support to the work of the YMCA's. It brings more support to the work of Feeding America and uh, our partners at the food banks and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Um, so we're looking forward to continuing to work closely with you in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, Stacy McDaniel to you know lean on us to be letting us uh, share our strength know when there's more that we should be doing to support you. Uh, if there's resources we can be providing, uh, you're on the front lines and that's an indispensable role. We play the role of uh, making sure that those on the front lines have what they need. Um, and we've been pretty good at that, but we're always trying to get better. So uh, please think of us as a friend and an ally and a resource, uh, not just now, although we're going we're gonna to need each other now more than ever, but uh, certainly in the future as well. 
Billy, we've been so thankful for the support of No Kid Hungry. I can tell you it, it is making a difference in communities all across the country, large and small. When No Kid Hungry is able to support these efforts, we see uh, just like YMC of Center County, pickleball courts being converted to food warehouses with truckloads being distributed across the community. We see small town-wise, able to buy that freezer that they needed to do bulk purchasing for food. The, the support that No Kid Hungry lends and the voice that you give for the issue of hunger is astronomical and so crucial and appreciated, uh, especially during COVID-19, but at all times. So thank you so much for the advocacy and the support that you give to alleviate hunger. Well, thank you. Thanks for being with us today. We've been talking with Stacy McDaniel, who's the Anti-Hunger Initiative Specialist at the YMCA. Did I get the title right, Stacy? You did. Good. Um, and she's been at it a long time. She's got uh, some real expertise. Uh, we consider ourselves uh, allies in the trenches. We're so grateful for what you do and uh, really grateful that you're able to take some time from it uh, just to talk to us and explain it to a larger audience. So uh, thanks, Stacy. I'll let you get back to work. But on behalf of all of us at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign, we're grateful for the leadership and the compassion and the commitment of the YMCAs um, and grateful for the listeners uh, of our podcast here, Add Passion and Stir, and to the whole team at Share Our Strength uh, and the No Kid Hungry campaign that makes it possible. And always to our producer, Woody, uh, Paul Woodle at District Productive in Washington, D.C. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to a very special episode of Add Passion and Stir. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull.